0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Lagrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I want to do something a little bit different before I start this morning. I want to I want to show you a couple things and spend just a few minutes before I begin preaching. I'm going to do that, I promise. But I mentioned last week to you just the the, the space need we've had and, and the idea of expansion, and um, I want to give you some more detail this morning. I want you to understand this is kind of just the first uh, uh, opportunity for you to hear a little bit about this. Till what? Bring those house lights up for me, please. There you go. Not look looking in the eye when I'm talking to you. I want you to hear about what's going on because I'm very excited about it. I'm excited what the Lord's doing. Uh, We've been out of space for a long time. Praise the Lord. Our children have been out of space for a long time. Uh, You may not know this. Most of you probably do. We have three services here. We do an 830, this one, and then another 11. All those services are doing very well. This service is packed, as you can see. People have a hard time finding seats. Praise the Lord, right? What a great problem to have. Uh, We're not trying to figure out how to pay the bills. We're trying to figure out how to put everybody in a spot. And one of the things Rosemont has been really good at over the years is using every square inch of this building every hour. So we have multiple Sunday school hours for all of our children. We have multiple worship services. Uh, we've moved people into closets. We've moved closets out and put other things in there. And uh, there's just a lot of things we've moved around to try to accommodate all that we've done. And we've reached the point that we believe we've used up about all of our usable space and we need to add some more space. So it's very exciting for us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned to you last Sunday that the deacons and the finance team had voted unanimously to move forward with this project. Now there's a lot of work to be done. And I want to be clear with you, there'll be plenty of opportunities for questions, okay? There'll be opportunities for you to come and meet, come talk to me, come talk to some of our deacons. So this is just a very quick picture of kind of where we want to go and what we think the Lord's leading us to do. And again, just to be clear in the process, the church will have to be involved in making this final decision, okay? We're not going to start breaking ground until the church is on board, but I want to show you kind of where we are, how we arrived at this point. I've got a few pictures I want want to show you, but before I do, I want to just give you a little background of where we've come from we started this process probably four years ago praying and thinking and just trusting the lord and asking him what do we need to do and and we arrived at the conclusion we needed to build some space we just didn't quite know what so we brought in an architectural firm they designed a beautiful thousand seat auditorium for us we could have sat everybody in one service giving us plenty of room to go it was beautiful we loved the layout the sight lines were nice beautiful exterior cost about six million dollars so I took a step back as the leader of this church and I just started praying about that. And I said, Lord, that's an awful lot of money. And the more I prayed about it, the less excited I got. And the more I prayed about it, the less I felt like we needed to move in that direction. And so I just, I brought our deacon leadership together and I said, guys, I just can't in good conscience lead our church to incur that kind of debt. And they were like, we're glad you said it because we felt the same way. Like, why didn't you tell me six months ago, right? We could have sped the process up a little bit. So we just backed up. And we said, what do do we need to do? How can we maybe utilize what we already have and do something within our budget in order to meet the space need that we have and the way God has blessed our church? And so I want to give you just a few quick pictures, big understanding where we're going, lots of chance moving forward to to ask questions. Uh, In the meantime, though, kind of here's the direction we're going. So pull up picture number one, if you would, for me, please, Wanda. So just to kind of orient you, the little triangle there in the top is the current worship center roof. What we propose to do is knock out all the walls inside of this building. All these interior walls are not load bearing, so the back wall would go, all these walls would go. We would expand the sanctuary. We believe we can add about 150 to 175 more seats in here, which is about a 40 to 45% increase. That's a pretty significant increase. Uh, in the process of doing that, everything in here will be redone. Now, I know you're gonna be really sad about losing the pink carpet with the rolls in it up front. That's all part of the original design. But you may not know this. This building has been here since 1978. How many of you were here when the building was built? 78. A few of you. Wow, look how we've grown in a few years, by the way. This building has served its purpose. We we had, other than some paint and a couple of minor touches, we hadn't done anything in here. Praise the Lord. We've we've had a building for almost 40 years. We hadn't had to do a whole lot too. But this new facility will give us a complete remodel in here so everything in here will change the walls will go away expand our seating on the outside which will be this wall here so this is kind of looking at the corner from the Hamilton Road in the parking lot all this new stuff out front of the building is a brand new lobby that will sit out that direction it'll wrap around the front so we'll have some storage and some additional bathrooms if you look up kind of the top right there's a cross there you see that That cross is a facade that will go in front of the current Praise Park, which is the original chapel where we met as a church originally. Then on the far top right, all that new stuff, that's a brand new children's building for us. That'll give us, I think, about 4,200 additional square feet for our children that Philip can use. You may not know this, but on Wednesday night, our children can't meet in Praise Park anymore. There's not enough room. They meet out here. And so this will give him about 4,200 additional square feet in order to worship with his kids. And so we'll have basically brand new interior, about 40% more seating, brand new exterior, brand new children's building. So go to the next slide if you would please. This is a picture just from the parking lot, looking right into the new lobby, which will will sit right out here. So this whole wall will be brand new lobby out into the parking lot. Go to the next slide. Picture of the children's building. If you're familiar with our property, kind of right over there is just a flat, grassy surface. There's nothing there. That's where the new children's building will sit. So it will sit and be connected to our current children's facility so all of our kids can still go to the same area, have classroom spaces, have a worship space. Uh, This is going to really help Philip and his ministry as as kids continue to come, young families continue to come. I I just want you to know, this really ought to tell us that we're serious about reaching these kids. I mean, this is not a joke for us. And and I don't have time to get into all this, and Philip could tell you better than I could, but we don't believe in babysitting. I mean, we do because my wife and I use it too sometimes on the weekends. But I'm talking about at church. (laughs) We're not going to babysit your kids. We're going to teach them. So when they come, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I don't have time to talk about it. Philip's not in here. We've got the best preschool children's department anywhere around. No exaggeration, the best. And so we're going to put more money into it because we want to continue to reach more kids. This gives us the ability just to go into the future and reach more and more people for Christ. Here's maybe the most exciting news to, 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 to me of all this. We believe we can do this almost, if not entirely, debt-free. Now, our church has really, over the years, done a, we're debt-free now. We don't owe a penny on anything you see. All the land we own, we own the entire field, all the buildings, everything you see is debt. We don't owe a penny to anybody, praise the Lord for that. Our church has done a fantastic job over the years staying debt-free. We're going to do the best we can to maintain that debt-free status. Over the years, we've taken out really small loans as necessary and paid them off quickly. We believe we can do all this. Go to the next slide, if you would, please. This is a picture kind of across the front. Looks like a brand new building. We believe we can do all this for about $3 million dollars. Which means we think we can raise the vast majority of just looking at our numbers and what we give. We think we can raise most of this. Callaway Foundation will give us 20% of whatever we raise. We've saved about a quarter of a million dollars already in the bank that we can throw towards this project as well. That means that when we complete this project, we will do it almost debt-free or take out a small little loan at the end and pay it off very quickly. That's fantastic news for us. That means we don't have to dip into all these other funds, into our missions fund or the money we're spending on kids or the money we're spending on our students or our adults or discipleship. We don't have to dip into any of those funds. We can continue to maintain our budget. We can continue to send people and reach the world and train these children and have a brand-new facility to carry us really into the next generation. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll look back at the people that built this building And we literally are standing on the shoulders of people that live 40, 50, 60 years ago. Because of what they did, we worship in this facility, have done it now for almost 50 years. I just wonder how the people in 10, 20, 30 years will look back on us and the decisions we made and to see how serious we were about reaching people for Christ. And so this is the process, this is the direction we're going. Now, here's what I need you to do right now. It's going to be real simple for you. I want you to do one thing. Pray about this. That's all I need you to do. I want you to pray that the Lord would give us clarity and direction because there's, there's a, a million steps between here and there. This is the first big step, you beginning to understand it and, and sensing what's going on. And again, there'll be tons of opportunities to ask questions. But I want you to pray that the Lord would give us wisdom and direction and that the Lord would give us the resources necessary to make this happen. Because praise the Lord, we're still growing. We're still reaching new people. And we've got to be good stewards of what the Lord has given us and we've got to prepare for the future, and we believe this can do it. Okay? So you pray about it. You hear a lot more about it moving forward. Now, I'm ready to preach. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to open up God's Word this morning. Father, we just thank you for what you've done in this church. We thank you for the years and years, the decades of faithfulness at Rosemont Baptist Church, Father. It's beyond anything we could have ever hoped or imagined. Lord, that original group that met years ago probably had no idea that one day this church would be this size, reaching this many people, sending this many people out into the world and in the community. But Father, because of your faithfulness, here we are. And so Lord, we want to be good stewards. We want to continue to reach people. We want to continue to grow. Father, just give us a clear direction. Give us a clear understanding. Give us the resources necessary to make this happen And Father, we're going to praise your name for everything that you do. Lord, be with us now as we open up the truth of your word. Speak clearly to us through the power of the Spirit, Father. May we be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bible and open to the letter of James. The letter of James. This is our second week in our series that we've entitled Faith in Action. It's a study through the book of James. And we've called it Faith in Action because James is extremely practical. James is going to challenge you to take your faith and to live it out and to put action with it. And so we began last week, James really jumps into this, he spends one verse in a greeting and a little bit of introduction, it's very minimal, then in verse 2 he jumps right into maybe one of the most difficult topics we could talk about as believers, it's the topic of trials. Everybody has them. We said last week it's not a matter of if you're going to have trials, it's a matter of when you have trials. And so because trials are so prevalent, because we all deal with them, because sometimes they seem to be ongoing, we ask the very simple question, how, as believers, are we to navigate through the trials of life biblically? Because there's a thousand different books and probably a thousand different seminars you could go to where somebody's going to help you understand how to navigate through the trials of life. But I don't know about you, I'm not interested necessarily in what those people say, what the world may say, what the experts may say. When I go through a trial of life, I want to understand what the scripture says. And I want to live my life always based on the truth of God's word. And so last week, James kind of delved into this, and he gave us three different things we could do as we navigate through trials to live biblically. Now, if you weren't here last week, the podcast is available online. I'm not going to give you the details, but here are the three things James showed us in his letter last week that we need to be doing or we need to understand as we go through a trial biblically. The first was to have a joyful attitude. James instructs us not how to feel but how to think it's not about the way we feel in a trial because our feelings oftentimes mislead us we're going to feel down and upset and bitter and angry and you kind of fill in the blanks it's not about how we naturally feel in a trial it's about considering that trial joy or thinking about joy understanding that the Lord is working in the midst of that trial And so, as you you go through a difficulty, as you go through a trial, you may not feel good about it, but in your mind, you can think joy because you know the Lord's got something at the end for you. That leads right into the second thing. The second thing we see is that we need a maturing faith. The, The whole point of a trial is for our walk in Christ to deepen. The whole point of a trial is for our faith to grow. And as we trust the Lord in the midst of trials, as we seek Him, as we walk with Him, even in difficulties, our faith grows and matures, our depth grows and our mature and matures, and the Lord said through James, really the only prerequisite, the only requirement in this process is number three, a believing heart. When we ask the Lord for wisdom, we've got to believe He's going to work in that trial. As we ask the Lord for guidance, we've got to believe he's going to use us. And so James kind of begins his book with a difficult topic, with the idea of trials. And I want you to understand, he's going to come back to trials a couple of different times in chapter 1. And so as we jump in this morning in verse 9, we're going to talk about the reward for perseverance, but we're going to see James is kind of using this theme of trials. We're going to come back to that, and we're going to understand that's the foundation of what he's saying. And he's going to give us now a few different examples as we walk through this idea of trials so beginning in verse 9 but you know let's do this let me just go back to 2 I know you don't have it on the screen but I just want to read it in context and then pull 9 up we'll get to 9 here in just a second here are the words of James count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in his ways. Now, verse 9, we have this on the screen. So let the lowly brother... Again, this is in the vein of testing and trials. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass... Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Here's truth number one. James gives us very clearly in verses 9, 10, and 11 a warning for the wealthy. A warning for the wealthy. Now James kind of distinguishes two different classes, two different groups of people in these verses. He mentions rich people, and he mentions the lowly person or the poor person. And he says very simply in these verses, 9 and 10, that the poor is exalted and the rich will be humbled. Now, here's what some of us do when we read this passage of Scripture or we read other places, because there are lots of places in Scripture that kind of contrast the rich and the poor. Maybe you've read through these and you've asked yourself the question, which of these two categories do I fit into? Would I be considered part of of the rich? Because I sure don't feel rich. Would I be considered part of the poor? Because James kind of speaks differently to these two different groups. If I'm gonna understand what he's saying, I need to kind of find the category that I live in and then maybe kind of study that and understand how James is is calling me to live and how he's calling me to put my faith into action. Let me just go ahead and be very clear with you. I wanna help you out. Just by the nature of where you live in this world, you're rich, period. James writes in the first century, he's speaking to poor people that are beggars, thieves, abject poverty, they have absolutely nothing. If you've had the opportunity to travel overseas, especially with some of our mission teams, you've seen poverty. And you understand poverty. So I would say to you and to me as Americans very clearly because of the way that the Lord has blessed our country in, in so many ways, we are rich. Now I want to be careful about this because there's, there's maybe a, a desire in our society at, at times to, 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 to think about wealth as a bad thing or to think about money as, a, as an evil and, and there certainly can be evil with money. But I want to be very clear as we think through this, we shouldn't be ashamed of wealth We shouldn't be embarrassed about wealth. We should very simply understand that we have been given great wealth, figure out how to use that wealth for the glory of the Lord, and then heed the warning James is about to give us. Because if you've been blessed with great wealth, James wants you to understand something very clearly. Look at verse 11. He says, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass... Its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. See, here's here's kind of the big picture we need to understand about wealth. One day it's all going away. It may be useful now, you may enjoy it now, there are certain things that it brings us and affords us in this life, but one day it's all going to be gone. So the things that you care a lot about in this life, and I'm talking talking about family or friends, the the possessions, the material things you care a lot about in life will one day be gone, and as much as you care about them, a generation or two from now, nobody's going to care. Did you know that? I've heard several people say this before, but they said, you know, they, they, when they, kind of take a lot of pride in their stuff and they think about all the stuff they have they just remember that as soon as they're gone somebody's going to probably back a dumpster up to their back door and throw it all away anyway probably right my grandmother's house I, I loved when I was a kid going to my grandmother's house she had a big at that time it was enormous you know I thought it was a mansion and it was a farm and it was in Villarica and we used to go over there, one of the things I loved to do was get up in the attic and walk around because now as an adult, it was just a bunch of junk up there, but it was fun to go through. Anybody ever go through grandparents' basement or attic? Yeah, it's just kind of fun, right? Well, when she passed away, there were a few things in the house that my mom and, and, and me and my sister wanted. We got a few things out, but the vast majority of it was just trash. We, we threw it away. And it wasn't because we didn't love her. We, Of course we loved her. We, we loved her dearly and deeply, but we didn't love her stuff. The chair that she worked so hard for, she had recovered. We We didn't really care about the chair. Or the piece of furniture, or the lamps, or the things that meant so much to her. To us, it didn't really matter. Why? Because one day all this goes away. James wants us to see, listen, you may be wealthy, you may be rich, maybe you have been blessed, but it's passing, it's fleeting. One day it will fade away. Now because it will one day fade away, we need to understand something. The problem isn't so much that everything's one day going to be gone. We kind of understand that as we think about it. The problem is in our current lives, sometimes we allow all that stuff to get in our way of serving the Lord. We desire riches instead of the Lord. Now, if I step on your toes here, let me go ahead and apologize. We all fit into this category. But I just wonder sometimes if we worked as hard for the Lord as we did for our company, how deep our faith would be. If we put in as many hours in the Word as we do studying something that relates to our work or promotion, how much better off we'd be. James says, you, you need to be warned that all of these things will one day go away. Craig Bloomberg wrote a great commentary on James. He said this He said, Unless we recognize the utter transience of this life, And the potential suddenness of its end, and unless we live each moment for Christ with a sense of urgency about redeeming the time, we risk silently worshiping the world. Isn't that interesting? Now again, let's just keep this in context. James is talking about the trials of life. And he's saying, listen, poor people have trials, rich people have trials. It doesn't matter what you have because one day it's going to all go away. The question isn't the difficulty of life or the trials we're going to face or the fact that one day all our stuff's going to be non-existent, nobody's going to care about it. We don't really wonder if we're going to have trials because everybody's going to have them. Rich and poor. Now, if we were to compare you guys, and I I say you guys as a group, to somebody living in sub-Saharan Africa out in the bush, in the amount of stuff that we have, it's not even close. It's like planets away, millions of miles, not even close. But it'd be interesting because if I asked you, if I said to you, hey, do you think that all the possessions you have keep you from the trials of life, what would you say? No, of course not. I have trials, I have problems, I have issues that I deal with, right? Our our money and our possessions don't insulate us from the things of life that are difficult. In fact, some people would say they bring on more things, maybe more things to worry about. James is saying to you, listen, it doesn't matter if you're rich, it doesn't matter if you're poor, we're all going to face trials, But you need to be warned, don't allow the things of life, the possessions of life, the material wealth of life lead you to a place that separates you from the Lord. And so he continues, look at verse 12. Blessed then is the man, right? He's taught about the rich and the poor, the problems, things fade away. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Here's truth number two. Godly faithfulness in trials produces great blessings. Godly faithfulness in trials produces great blessings. I want you to look at how he begins verse 12. Pull verse 12 up for me again if you would, please. James says in chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is the man. Blessed. And so we we ask the question, what what does it mean to be blessed? Well, most of us, when we think about being blessed, we think about exterior things that happen to us. We say something like this, you know, I just got a promotion, I'm very blessed. Or my family is healthy, I'm very blessed. Blessed. Or my marriage is strong, I'm very blessed. And and let's just be very clear, those are absolutely blessings from the Lord. I believe the Lord blesses us in a lot of different ways. Our our families and our health, our homes, our jobs, all of those are blessings from the Lord, of course. But it's very difficult for us when things don't go our way to understand blessing, isn't it? We don't usually consider a great sickness a blessing from the Lord. We don't usually consider the loss of a job a blessing from the Lord. We don't usually consider marital problems a blessing from the Lord. Yet when Christ speaks of blessings in Scripture, when the New Testament writers speak of blessings in Scripture, oftentimes they kind of set aside the things we think of as blessing and they say things to us that don't necessarily make sense in our mind. One of the the best examples of that is Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. We, We preached through this several years ago. Matthew chapter 5, he begins with what's known as the Beatitudes or the blessings. Here's the thing that Christ considers blessings. Listen to his words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So how do we find blessing in mourning? How do we find blessing in meekness? How do we find blessing in poverty? How do we find blessing when we hunger and thirst for righteousness? It's because we have kind of a misunderstanding of blessing, don't we? We think oftentimes blessings are related to the external, to the exterior, to the conditions and the circumstances of life. Christ says instead, real blessing is a deep and abiding joy found in God that can be maintained even in difficult situations. Let me say that again. A blessing is a deep, abiding joy found in God that is maintained even in difficult situations. See, see, a true blessing is to recognize the joy of the Lord even when our trials are hard. True blessing is to find peace in the Lord even when we're walking through difficult situations. Real blessing is to understand, even in the midst of the tragedies of life, we have a deep and abiding love and hope and joy and peace found only in Christ. That's a real blessing. John MacArthur said it like this To be blessed is not a superficial feeling of well being based on circumstances, but a deep, supernatural experience of contentedness based on the fact that one's life is right with God. Now here's what James wants us to understand. Here's what he wants to see in this passage of scripture. If we remain steadfast, if we hold on to the promises of the Lord, if we walk through great trial with joy and with hope and with maturity and with faith and with a believing heart, when we get to the end of that trial, we're going to be blessed. Then he gives this interesting phrase in verse 12. Pull that up for me again if you would, please. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So here's the promise from the Lord. If you remain steadfast under trial if you reign strong and trusting the Lord during those moments, then after you've stood the test, you're going to receive what James calls the crown of life. Now, that's an interesting phrase because we understand a crown, right? We understand a gold crown, and oftentimes in the New Testament, a crown was given to the victor, the person that won the race, or to the king. We understand victory and power and what a crown means. But this isn't a crown of gold or jewels or diamonds or some wealthy substance. This is a crown of life. What do we mean by a crown of life? Well, scholars have kind of debated the meaning of this. But there's one other passage of Scripture that will shed a a little bit of light onto this idea for us. It's found in Revelation chapter 10. I want you to listen to the words. Also written in the context of trials and suffering, John writes, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. And then he gives a very specific instance. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death... And I will give you the crown of life. Interesting. The Lord says, when we endure great trials with steadfastness and faithfulness, we receive from him the crown of life. Now, when you think about the word life and you think about the word Jesus... There's several things that come to mind. There's one verse in particular. You'll know it, but I want to read it to you. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have, you remember the word, life and have it more abundantly. Christ says, when, when you walk in faithfulness with me through the trials of life, I'm not only going to give you life, I'm going to give you life abundantly. So let me just be clear. Your reward as you walk through the trials of life, is abundance in Christ. Now for some of you, and I don't know who I'm talking to, for some of you that doesn't mean a whole lot. Because you've never experienced the abundance of Christ. But if you've ever experienced that abundant life, that abundant life in Christ, that, that peace that passes all understanding... That hope in the midst of hopelessness. That joy in the midst of the terrible circumstances of life. If you've ever experienced that abundant life in Christ, you'll understand that the pure joy and blessing that comes from living that way. So I would say to you, you, as you walk through the trials of life as you struggle through the difficulties of life, if you'll stay steadfast, in the end, there is great abundance. There is great hope. There is great joy. There is great peace. And in case you haven't noticed, those are all the things the world's looking for. You ever talk to a person that says, you know, I just don't have a whole lot of hope that this is gonna work out well. You ever talk to a person that says, you know, my my spirit is stirring. I just don't have any real peace about any of this. You ever talk to a person that says, you know, I just can't find joy in my life. I try and try and I surround myself with good things, but I just can't find joy. It's because real hope and real peace and real joy come only from Christ, only by living a life abundantly in Christ. And it's as we walk through these difficulties, it's as we walk through these trials with steadfastness and perseverance that we begin, some of us for the first time ever, to experience real joy to experience real peace, to experience real hope. And if you've ever walked through a difficult trial and come out the other end and the Lord blessed you, you understand real joy, don't you? You understand real peace. But some of you are gonna struggle with this idea. I just don't quite know how to do this. I'm not quite sure what this means for me. Some of you are gonna struggle. So look at verse 13. James is gonna answer this question. So let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. Here's truth number three. Very important, and this is where so many people go astray, right? We want to have joy, we want to have peace, we want to have blessings, we want to have the crown of life, a warning. Truth number three. During trials, we must guard ourselves against temptations. During trials, we must guard ourselves against temptation. Let me just be very clear. We're going to kind of divide these words up and talk about them here just for a few minutes. But it's oftentimes during trials that the greatest temptations of life sees us. Now James has already talked about trials in verses 2 and 4 and then in verse 12. And then he, he brings up kind of this different word, this idea of being tempted. And I want to be very clear. There, there, there are very two distinct meanings in, in Scripture in New Testament Greek between the idea of a trial and the idea of a temptation. I want to define those for you so you can understand the difference. Trials, as used in Scripture, in the New Testament especially, are outward. They're things that you deal with outside of yourself. They're struggles of life, right? A a, a job loss or a sickness or death or a marital problem or, you know, all the different things. we. Those are trials that we deal with. Those are outside of us, outside of our uh, realm. We can't do anything about them. They happen to us. Those are the trials of life. A temptation, on the other hand. Although it involves an outward component, it's actually inward focused. Because a temptation is a thing that leads us and lures us away from God into sin. Right? It's usually during trials, outside circumstances, that an interior temptation arises and leads us away from the Lord towards sin. You understand that? So in a trial, our our mindset becomes, listen, God has got something planned for me down here. I'm walking through this trial. God wants me to walk this path of righteousness and find joy and hope and peace in Him, trusting Him. My faith is maturing. I'm believing in Him. I'm going to end up blessed with the crown of life. But in the midst of this trial, a temptation seizes us. And we have this decision to make. Am I going to continue to walk through this trial toward the things of the Lord? Or am I going to allow this sin to entice me and lure me away from his perfect will for me? So for example, let's say you have a problem with your marriage. Something's going on between you and your spouse. It's, a, it's an issue. Maybe it's been bubbling up for a while. It's kind of overflowing. It's getting worse and worse. That's a trial for you that you're walking through a very difficult circumstance. But in the midst of that trial, you go to work every day and there's a co-worker of the opposite sex that you become pretty good friends with and you start sharing some things with that coworker and you become a little more intimate in the conversation a little more intimate and it leads a little bit farther and all of a sudden you found yourself in the midst of this trial now you've been tempted and lured away from the way you should respond in Christ's likeness toward this sin see in the midst of this great trial there's temptation or maybe you lose your job And you're struggling to make ends meet and so you're in the middle of this difficult trial and you want to be faithful and Christ-like. But in the middle of this trial and you had not had a job for a long time, especially at the end of the year, you begin to think, you know, maybe I should just kind of mess with my taxes a little bit and change a couple of numbers and I'll get a really nice refund. And I'll just do this once and then that refund will get us over the hump and we'll be fine after that, right? In the midst of a great trial, you're walking towards the Lord, a temptation arises. Do I continue in my steadfastness, in sinlessness? Towards the goodness of the Lord? Or do I allow the temptation to steer me towards sin? Maybe you encounter a sickness and you just can't figure it out. You can't shake it. You can't get well. Maybe the doctors are not quite sure what's going on. You've tried a lot of different treatments and you're walking in this trial. You want to be faithful. You want to be steadfast. But in the midst of this trial, you begin to question God. God, why did you let this happen to me? Why are you allowing me to go through this, Father? If you just answer my prayers and you build up anger and bitterness towards the Lord and you want to curse God as, as Job was encouraged to do in the Old Testament. And so you're in the middle of this great trial, but a temptation seizes you and pulls you away from the things of Christ toward the things of evil. See, here's what James says in verse 14. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed <clears throat> by his own desires. James says we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful as we walk through trials not to be seized by temptation. Pull verse 14 up again if you would for me, please. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then verse 15, there's this process. Then desire when it has conceived, right? So there's this thought, first of all, desire. That's when it's conceived. You first think about the temptation. It leads eventually gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. Right, James says, in the midst of these great trials, being steadfast means that we stay free from sin. See, there's no place, according to the word of God, for us to blame the Lord for our problems. There's no place for us to blame the Lord for our sin. Instead, we take responsibility for our sin, and we understand that in the middle of those trials, that's when temptation arises. Now, I, I think it's very interesting, the word that James uses here in verse 14. Pull that out one more time if you would for me. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Scholars believe that James had this idea of of hunting in his mind when he wrote this. I know we got a lot of hunters out here, right? And if you don't hunt, you know somebody that does. I mean, living in this part of the world, you kind of have to know somebody that hunts. Well, you understand that when it's not deer season, if you have some land, let's say you've got a plot of land you hunt on or your backyard or whatever, when it's not deer season, you don't just sit around and do nothing. You prepare that land, don't you? And the way you prepare that land is doing what? You plant certain things. You put out corn. Some of you got a little feeder that shoots corn out at a certain time every day. Why do you do that? Because you want to entice that animal to come and eat that food now for those of you that aren't kind of following with me here's what happens miraculously the deer hunter builds a stand right above that food plot just by happenstance usually it's pretty random and so they climb up in that deer stand and that deer for the last many 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 days the last many many months knows at three o'clock in the afternoon there's gonna be a bunch of corn on the ground I'll start making my way to eat and he tells his other deer friends, before long, there's a bunch of deer eating the corn. Well, the deer doesn't understand when hunting season comes, does he? He doesn't have the calendar that you have. He doesn't know you got up at 3 in the morning and sprayed stuff on your body and put on camouflage clothes and climbed up in a tree and sat there for four hours. He doesn't know any of that. So he shows up to eat his corn, and what do you do? You shoot him. That's how it works. Now think about the same analogy with sin. The enemy's gonna entice you, isn't he? He's gonna put things out there that you like. And just like that deer initially is a little skittish and a little uncertain about eating, after a little while, he gets more and more comfortable and he begins to eat. And before long, he's invited his friends and then he's just relaxed, just like you are. And I love the analogy because just as that food plot and that hunting leads to death, so does sin. The enemy's gonna trap you and entice you and lure you. And when that happens, that sin is going to lead you to death. But see, we miss that, don't we? We're, we're too busy enjoying the corn. <laughs> it's too easy for us in the middle of the trial. It's, you know, I'm just going to forget about the trial. It's tough, and I need a break anyway from this. And Lord, I don't know what you're doing anymore. Anyway. You're not doing anything in my heart. Just forget all that. This is a lot better, and I'm going to be enticed and lured and partake of this and I'm gonna feel good for a little while not really understanding the enemy has lured me away to kill me. It could be a spiritual death. It could be a physical death. When you take your eyes off the prize, the crown of life and the blessings that the Lord has given us, when you take your eyes off that hope and that joy and that peace that only Christ can give and you're enticed by sin, you need to be warned because the enemy's got a plan Just like the Lord does. See, we're all going to go through trials, aren't we? We're all going to go through difficulties. We all want to remain steadfast and hopeful and joyful, and we want to grow in those moments. But we need to be warned that it's in the midst of the greatest trials that sometimes the greatest temptations arise. We need to be on guard, we need to be alert. We need to find joy and hope and peace in Christ. And we need to understand that no matter the trial we walk through, the difficulty we walk through, the temptations that surround us, on the other side of all that, if we'll remain steadfast to Christ, he will bless us with a crown of life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just the clear picture that James has given us challenge, Lord, to be steadfast again, to understand that, that trials overtake everyone, Father. We're all involved in trials, rich, poor. But understand, Father, there's a great blessing if we'll remain steadfast at the end. But, Father, a very important warning, that in the midst of our trials, we'll remain true and faithful to you. We'll keep our eyes on you, will not allow temptation to overtake us and lead us to sin and death. And then, Father, we trust that as we do these things, as we trust you, as we walk through these difficulties, you've got for us a crown of life, a crown of life, Father, more abundantly, a crown of life that brings hope and peace and joy in all things. Father, help that thought just to invade our hearts and our minds, and may we live by that truth your honor and glory it's in Jesus name that we pray amen you can stand you know last week we ended with Tracy and and her story and so many came and prayed we're gonna open that up again this week we don't have anybody coming down we're not gonna show a video this week but I just want to open up again for a couple of different things first off you're still struggling through trials the altar of course is open I'll pray with you some of our ministers are here they can pray with you as well but maybe you've kind of walked through a trial and you're kind of coming out on the other end and you're beginning to see that blessing and that crown of life. What if we offered a praise to the Lord instead of a prayer right now? What if we said, praise your name, Father, for everything that you've done. This is your time to respond. You come and pray as the Lord leads you as we sing together. You come.